Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. It's August 24th. Coming up on today's show, Oscar winner Marquetta Irglova chats about Leela, the third album in a trilogy, which came out last week. Christy from Laboom is on to talk about what it was like to support Denise Chyla at her Limerick homecoming show on Saturday night. Simon Roach, one third of Lumo Club Night, talks about their Dublin Bay boat party, which took place over the weekend. And we have new music from three Irish artists, Alice Kiernan, Cabin and Patrick Steffen. That's at the end of the show. Stay tuned for that. As you might have heard on last week's episode, I was at another love story over the weekend. There was rain on Saturday afternoon, but I can confirm, yes, it did not dampen Reveller's spirits. It's a small festival held in Killian Manor in County Meath. It's about 1,500 capacity or there thereabouts. We got to see Altered Hours again, three weeks on from their stellar All Together Now set. It was a little bit more subdued crowd-wise, people easing themselves into the ALS weekend. That was about 9pm on Friday when Altered Hours played, but always good to see them play, and especially those new tunes. There's a great run of acts on the Saturday afternoon at ALS. Niamh Regan, Rufus Nightjar, which is Branwen Kavanagh, Anamika, and Zoe Basha. Glorious a cappella harmonies. Really, really great stuff from Rufus Nightjar. Ships played after them, playing mostly new tracks as well at their first show since before the pandemic. Yankee, they always put on a great show. It's class. Seeing a band just gain confidence from being a band, playing lots of shows. And from the dungarees that Graham was rocking to the drawn out, like elongated pop hits that Yankee do so well. They just have confidence in abundance. They should probably be your favorite band right now. Just saying. Just saying. Then on Sunday, you Vagabonds and Anamika were playing one after the other in the sun. The very, very hot sun. Just glorious. I also got to take part in a conga line as part of Sing Along Social. I've been thinking about conga lines since hearing James Acaster, I think it was, do a joke about them a few weeks ago. And I just really, really wanted to take part in one. Um, so glad I got to tick that off my list on Sunday evening. Emmett from Homebeat and Sam Bishop of Neighbourhood Network and Street Feast are the co-founders of ALS. Here is a little speech that Emmett made on the stage with Daughter in Hand after Eve Vagabonds on Sunday. Um, there are so many people to thank on a weekend like this, it's endless. But uh, the people we have to thank most are Roland and Zoe, Bella and Wolfie, and especially Diana for keeping us in this amazing space. Such a show of trust, and we appreciate it so much. But thanks most of all to you guys. It's amazing to be back. We love you so much. We've had a, I hope you've had an amazing weekend, and you have a great afternoon. Give Lauren a round of applause. And after Alabaster de Plume played an alt jazz set that kind of went feral to end proceedings at 6.30pm, send, sending people home happy on Sunday evening, Emmett said this. When, uh, when you choose a closing act, you, you choose it not just for the music, but for the message. And that was incredible. So give him another round of applause, please. Um, the shadows are drawing in on another love story 2022. Thank you so much. I want to say huge thanks to our crew. They are fucking amazing. Give them a huge, huge round of applause. So much love goes into this thing. And it's up to them. I also want to give a big shout out to my brother in arms, Sam. We could not do this without your brother. 
Thanks guys, see you next year. It's been amazing. So thanks to the Another Love Story crew for having us. I would highly recommend it next year. If you want something smaller than tens of thousands of people, they good. They they just do it right. Now on with the show. Marquette Erglova has just released Leela, her first album in eight years and the third in a trilogy. You know Marquette. You know, you know, she's girl from once. Won an Oscar with Glenn Hansard for Falling Slowly in 2008. She also entered the Iceland Eurovision Song Contest this year. She's living in Iceland these days with partner Mio, who also makes music and where they have a home studio. You can watch her Iceland Eurovision performance on YouTube. Just know that she was doing sign language while performing and that I had just watched this clip before chatting to her over Zoom a couple of weeks before the album came out. Here's a taster of that performance and then the chat with Marquetta. Number eight, Möguleg, Marquetta Irglova. Þessi staður sem þú ert á Finnst mér sárt og er fyrt að sjá I was just watching your Eurovision performance uh, there okay. just before hopping on the chat. Uh, very impressive, by the way, first of all, going for the Eurovision. But also, were you uh, sign doing sign language as well? Yes, I was. That's pretty impressive. So you're uh, from Czech Republic. You've learned Ice- Icelandic, I read. And was it Icelandic sign language that you were doing as well? Yes, it was, actually. Um, it is different to the English one. Although I had learned uh, sign language for the English lyrics as well, because I had to have the song prepared both in Icelandic and in English, because had I continued to the second round, I would have performed the song in English, and then I would have had to accompany it with the proper sign language. So I had I had prepared it in both. Oh, right. So you only you only knew the sign language for the song. You don't know it like in, in general as a... No. Uh, in every, oh, okay. Unfortunately not, but I have... I have a connection with it, you know, since I was little, because uh, my mom used to teach at a school for deaf children in my hometown. And because she taught there, uh, we were given an apartment in the building. And the building, the school is really impressive. It kind of looks like a little castle with a huge garden around it. So that's where we lived. And I often sort of went into class with her, you know, since I wasn't in kindergarten uh, from like you know not until I was maybe three or four so I, I can have memories of being in the class with her and sort of seeing the children just being around it you know and and I've always loved the idea of being able to speak it I don't know why I feel also like I just sort of somehow 
I don't know, relate in a weird way, but I don't know really how to explain that, maybe from another life or something. But I, I find that people who are deaf, they often have a very strongly developed sort of inner world somehow, you know, because they're sort of isolated in a way um, by not, not having that sense. So so it makes them kind of richer in in, in terms of their inner world. So I, I found it really interesting to somehow be able to connect with that and i met a woman who was working for the icelandic tv and she helped me with the translation and she is icelandic but she she speaks the icelandic sign language and the english one which i hear is quite uncommon you know usually people who speak sign language they're not encouraged to learn other languages per se like she had she had interest in learning english in school but they were like no people who are deaf they usually don't learn more than one language so she was sort of discouraged from i don't know how it's in ireland but it was really, it was just, and, and also in Iceland, there is quite a small community of people who are deaf, you know, because there is just very little people living there in general. So it, I, I found it really nice to be able to sort of include that in my performance somehow. It felt right. Yeah, um, it, that performance is one of a good few things that you've been up to since your your last album. Like it's been eight years since Muna came out, but you did, did I read that you wrote a musical? as well you've been busy yeah i did actually i did but i don't know if it's ever gonna um come to be an actual musical on stage because um we were sort of developing it and and i know that these things usually take maybe 10 years you know in the making so so it's it's not something that that you write music for and then it's on stage the next year so i never had that those kind of expectation but somehow it, it sort of was um happening at the same time that COVID hit and all the theaters shut down it was for a, a musical in new york so like everything sort of just went quiet for a little bit and i'm sort of waiting to hear if, if it will continue but i had written like oh, 25 songs or so for it so if, if the musical doesn't happen i will release the songs on my own because they're i i like them too much for them to be in a you know in a drawer <laughs> Is it different writing a song for a musical or writing a whole suite of songs for a musical compared to writing uh, your own songs for like Marquette or Glover solo album? It is. It's very different, actually, to write songs for a musical. Uh, you have to write for different characters and um, the characters are, you know, men, women, different ages, different backgrounds, um, possibly even different musical backgrounds within within the, the play itself. So, so I had to sort of figure out how do I write a blues song, for example, which was a challenge that I was up for sort of taking on, but I, I thought I probably won't be able to do it justice and that I would need to get help with it. But in the end, I I, I wrote it and I was, and it was a real breakthrough for me to be able to like, to feel that, you know, as long as I tap into the character or the story, you know, just something else comes through, you know, that wouldn't have, for my own record or something so it was quite quite rich that way and it really sort of deepened my own ability as a songwriter I'd say just being able to kind of go to a different style of music you kind of didn't realize that you could actually do that is it yeah because I've never had to even try you know um there's just never been any reason 
but since that I had to for this, I, I decided to to give it a go. And you know, I didn't even do much homework for it in terms of like, okay, now I'm sort of gonna listen to loads of blues music so that I can attempt to to write one in that sort of vein. I realized that I had already listened to kind of sort of broad broad musical. Um, selection throughout the years growing up and 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 just being surrounded with music in general it all sort of goes in somehow you know so it didn't feel as foreign as I might have thought originally. Is there any type of music that you were trying to write that like you just couldn't wrap your head around or couldn't figure out? And not so far I mean I even wrote um, I was recording a, a cover version of a song from the Hamilton musical have you heard about that one? The, I I know the big song from Hamilton, but I haven't I haven't watched it or listened to it to be honest. Yeah, I I, just, I saw it on Disney during COVID, um, and I just fell in love with that musical, and it was cool because I don't like all musicals, you know, and uh, but this one really blew me away. It was the first thing that I'd seen since Jesus Christ Superstar and Hair that really sort of grabbed me like that, and so I had been listening to a lot of that music, and I decided I wanted to do a cover of of one of them, and then I ended up doing like um sort of tribute by sticking two of the songs together and and then adding my own bit and the adding my own bit part was kind of happened afterwards like when I was already editing vocals and I kept hearing this this thing and I was like I think I should write like a a, a rap thing at the end <laughs> and and I just thought I'd give it a go since I had such a good experience with the other stuff for the musical and and so I ended up just writing this kind of rap outro that I sang with my sister because she happened to be in Iceland at the same time. And that was like, okay, if I can do this, <laughs> because usually in rap, like you, I find you need a lot of attitude in a way to pull it off. And I wrote lyrics that I sort of could get really behind. And in that way it worked, you know, but, but yeah, I, I, of course I, 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 think that I would never be able to do metal, heavy metal, for example. <laughs> it just wouldn't go, my voice wouldn't be able for it. And I just couldn't put myself in that energy, I think. Yeah. M maybe shredding on a guitar, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe you can do a couple of solos or something. <laughs> yeah, not at all, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to the album, this is the third in a trilogy of solo albums after Anar in 2011, I hope I'm getting the pronunciation right, and yeah. and Muna in 2014. Like, where did the idea for, the, for a trilogy come from? Was it there before you started that you wanted to work on a trilogy? Or was it just after you finished Lila, you were like, oh, they all fit together? It, it happens after I finished Anar, the first one, that, uh, you know, I finished it and I was sort of finalizing the, the track list and, and the artwork for it. And preparing it, it sort of occurred to me, you know, I don't I don't know why I can't explain it, but I just had this kind of vision of of it of it being number one of three. And immediately I got like it was so clear from the beginning. I was like, right, so the second record, um this this first record is is color red and the second color will be blue and then and then the third is like the combination of the two would be purple. And sort of I had connected it with like Earth symbolizing being symbolized by the red color, heaven being symbolized by the blue color, and then purple being the sort of where the two of them meet. And so the 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 red record, the first one, was a lot about sort of just passion and and sort of romance and sort of you know very sort of personal things, but on a kind of micro world level. And then the second one 
um, connected to heaven was very sort of spiritual in a way, you know, like asking big questions and sort of broadening the, the, the lens a little bit. And, and then the third is kind of ending up somewhere in between there, you know, in a, in a place that feels really sort of good to me, sort of symbolizes somehow like a personal evolution of mine if you like and and it, and it really did coincide with where I was finding myself in my life really you know but I from the beginning I wanted them to to be quite obviously connected together also on a visual level that's why I, I had approached the painter that I had bought the artwork that I used for Anar the red pomegranate I had sort of contacted the painter after I had purchased this painting and I asked her would you be open to to doing a custom painting for me for the other two two records which she did and I've had them in store you know for all these years and I'm just using the third one now but I've had it ready since the beginning and so when did you start writing working on Leela I mean eight years since the last album did you have some of the songs back then and it was just a case of getting around to them yes I started writing songs for Lila, I guess, um, right after I finished Muna. So I think uh, I was thinking about it the other day and I counted two songs that are as old as Muna in a way. Like just after that, I, I wrote uh, Remember Me. That was the first one I wrote. And then after that, I wrote High and Dry. So those are the two oldest songs on the record. And then there are songs that are as, as recent as, you know, a few months prior going into the recording. And then there are songs that were written at some point in those eight years, basically. Do you want to talk about the recording? It was all done at home in your home studio, is it, in Iceland with your husband? Yeah, we, um, I don't know if I'd call it home studio because oh. um, it's not a commercial studio either, you know, but it, we built it sort of uh, with the idea in mind of, of just building a studio as a space that like, was our dream space to working. You know, we had both found that it's when you spend so many hours in a in a space, like it's really important that you feel well there. There's you need sort of daylight, which is often lacking in, in recording studios. And we wanted it to feel really homey, you know, that it wasn't kind of you didn't get this kind of vibe, like you're just passing through, it should feel comfortable. So so we really put like a lot of intention and and love into building the studio. And um and it's it's beautiful and we love it. And then later we realized that it would be just way more convenient if we also lived in the house because we wouldn't have to keep driving in between. And, um, you know, when, when our children go to bed in the evening, we could just run up and keep working on something we didn't get to finish. So so we had sort of added an apartment. And so now we get to live and work there. But um, it is amazing to have it because it gives us complete freedom to explore any and all of ideas we might have we're never feeling under pressure like financially you know that that's kind of what what happens when you rent a studio you're always aware of of the hours going by because every hour costs and a lot of the time you the days run out without you having been able to bring the the album as far as you would have liked to and so with this it's just like we just go with things all the way until we feel they're ready and perfect in our view you know and that's really that's that's a privilege that not every musician has so I'm very grateful for that and are there other artists who actually use a studio or is it just like your own place yeah I mean we've had like a lot of musicians pass through the studio but it's always musicians that um 
we somehow connect with either on personal level or or musically or you know ideally both sometimes it's friend of ours that we've already known and sometimes we we have people who will reach out and we for some reason we just like the feeling of them and 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 so then we make it happen you know we sort of push our own projects to the side for a little bit to make room for 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 certain other projects but otherwise we're we're always working on something of ours and how is the musical community in iceland do you feel part of it is there is there people you bounce ideas off of uh i wouldn't say that i feel part of the music scene yet uh, if i ever will maybe not i mean it's it's not a thing I I can take for granted, I think, because uh, I think in the beginning I was sort of having children. And so I worked a lot just sort of in my own bubble, you know, at home, wasn't really going out to concerts or, or meeting other musicians. Uh, but then l- lately I, I did make like a good few efforts in the past few years. And it I always feel like the doors are kind of closed for some reason. I don't know why that is or if that's on my side or if it's mutual, but the the Eurovision uh, thing was kind of my my most recent attempt to sort of you know do something as part of the 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 Icelandic scene, but in the end I sort of um, I have always been the one sort of reaching out to people to collaborate or be part of part of projects or um, but it's always been sort of just the phone calls go in that direction only if you know what I mean you know which has been fine with me because I there is. There is something nice about that to be able to to dream up a project and then reach out to people and and include them and and to be sort of you know to to get to steer that yourself but but it is nicer if it goes both ways I think and it hasn't so far but but there is like a little circle of musicians that that I know that are all friends of mine Emiliana Torini who, who lives in Iceland um and uh, with her and um Tina Diko, who's from Denmark, and her husband Helgi Jonsson. Like we had a little, little sort of group that we formed to play the uh, Iceland Airways Festival a couple of years ago, and so with them, I, I love collaborating, and we've done a few things together. But no, I, I wouldn't say on a larger scale that I'm any any way part of the scene. Okay, okay. Now I know a couple of people over there, and it sounds like it's a really, it's a really nice place to live. Anyway, I suppose it's not. Yeah, it, it, the, Iceland is beautiful, for sure. Okay, talking about some of the songs and some of the ideas behind um, the or on the album, uh, Girl From A Movie is obviously one of the singles that you've released from it. Is that the first time that you've written about once? Yeah, I mean, it's not... It It isn't about once per se. It's more... It's really more about me, you know, in terms of me meeting people, um and a, a, a lot of the time if it's if it's if people meet you after having seen the movie or when they're meeting me like uh, you know they're in a way they they feel like they're meeting the girl from the movie you know but but so that that follows certain expectations not bad ones but they've already made up an idea about me from the movie and a lot of the time i i feel like it it blinds them a little bit for like who I actually am, you know, uh, because that's how expectations work. If if you're full of expectations and you're sort of projecting your your own ideas onto a person or a thing, anything at all, it it really changes the thing that that is in front of you. You know, you're 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 a little bit blind to how it is 
in its true sense. And that's kind of what the song is about, you know, having experienced that a lot through having played a part in a movie that is very beloved, you know, people have so much affection for it. I've really been lucky in terms of it couldn't be any better project than that because it's only tied to this positive love in a way. But it still ha has kind of awoken me to, to how expectations and projections and perceptions work, you know, it's a, it's a thing that all of us do. And we do it a lot in like romantic relationships, like when we're sort of feeling a person out in the beginning. Uh, it's it, it's just the game or a dance that we, we sort of do subconsciously. And and a lot of the time it sort of causes disappointment, you know, or or like feeling like the person didn't really perform the way you wanted them because you had this idea of them you know so it's a it's a it's 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 a thing and that's why in the verses the first verse is from the perspective of sort of feeling like you're letting down somebody's expectations and the second verse is like somebody somebody's letting your own expectations down so it's i'm trying to be very conscious about the fact that it is you know we all do it you know i'm not trying to point fingers or anything it's, it's just it is connected to my experience of having been in the movie and then showing up for a Q&A or, you know, sh uh, all those things that I had sort of experienced throughout the years. It's sort of, it's sort of boiled down to this, this thing of how, how it works and, and so much more for people who are in the public eye, you know, who have been in a movie that we love or, or something. There's just so much pressure for them with all of our ideas of who they are or should be, you know, and that's, and it's, it's so tricky. I, I see it all the time, how we build somebody up and we put them on a pedestal. And and then we're so quick to, to tear them off of it when they do something that is 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 not aligned with an idea we had of them. Have you, have you never noticed it? You know, it's so sad. Like somebody who's very popular and all of a sudden they're the worst. And it's so ridiculous in a way, you know? Yeah, but like you, you wouldn't have experienced that post once, would you? The, no, I wouldn't have experienced, uh, no, not that, never. And that's why I said in the beginning that I consider myself so lucky because, um, and I, and I, but I think there's, there's an explanation for that, you know, like with, with once what I've experienced with people that I've talked to or met that have seen the movie, there's just, there's pure love, you know, it's a, it's a connection from the heart to the heart of the movie and it's all, it's such a, there. there's nothing negative there, you know, but a lot of the time when, when it's through ego, that's where it becomes dangerous because, because uh, that's where you'd fall just as quickly as, as you rose. But, but that's why I said the, the song isn't about once. It's more about me having had certain experiences that were, were felt a bit annoying because, um, it felt like sometimes people have fantasies rather than perceive the reality of things, you know. And fantasies are nice, but but they're they're not real. And and it, when you're trying to play to someone's fantasy, you're already set up to fail from the beginning. You know, it's it, you can never live up to anybody's fantasy ever. It's just. It's the reality is always different, you know? 
Did you kind of experience that idea when you did the 15th anniversary shows in America earlier this year? Did you, did you enjoy them? But did you also think people were seeing kind of the fantasy rather than the reality? No, those were amazing. The, the concerts were nothing but, but beautiful, yeah. wonderful. In a way, it felt more real to me than ever because uh, earlier, like 15 years ago, you know, even 10 years ago, I was still finding out who I am, you know, and who I who I want to become. And that's why sometimes it was it was hard when like I was met with like certain expectations from people because I was just like, hold on, I haven't even figured out what I am yet or who I am, you know, who I want to be. And your idea of me is already so clear, you know, and so decided somehow. Um so it 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 felt a bit bit odd at times. But now I've had all these years to sort of just become a bit older and more mature and and more hopefully more wise and just feeling better in myself. I know where I stand with myself. And so from that place, like meeting people is really lovely because I remain very grounded in that process, you know, and I can sort of meet them on a level. And the same with Glenn, like it's the first time probably where I have felt like we're meeting each other as equals, you know, on stage and, and off stage. Like we're we're old friends and we have this connection. And I felt like I had sort of uh, worked on myself so much in, in these past 10 years, like musically, you know, that I have, there's been like real discipline in working my craft. So when I met Glenn on stage this time, it felt like I knew exactly what I was bringing to the table, if that makes sense, you know, and I, I could sort of stand behind that. So so there was nothing but sort of sincere joy of being able to play these songs together again and, and have an audience like that. I mean, people were incredible, incredible. Loved it. Great, great. Another one of the singles from Leela, The Season. It's inspired, you say, by the show Bridgerton. Will, will I let you have the floor on TV shows that you're enjoying at the moment and, and what you're watching and how they're inspiring you? Right, well... Yes, season is definitely connected to Bridgerton, and I, I love. I've always loved period drama. I've probably seen all of it. Besides Downtown Abbey, I've never been oh, attracted okay, the to big much one. Oh. Yeah, I know. I just don't know why. I don't know why I've never been drawn to that one in particular. But I, otherwise, I think I've seen most of them. And um, and I, this one, I I I I love just because it's kind of inventive in a way in that field. You know, it feels like the the meeting of like two different worlds like the the history like periods drama with like certain things that obviously weren't the way that they are portrayed you know so they're taking some liberties and sort of reimagining things which is which feels cool and i i guess you know before it was always books for me like i would always read books and like get inspired by the story sort of get drawn into the characters and that would influence my my writing or just whatever I was sort of pondering at the time. But now, like, my life is kind of busy trying to balance and combine family life with three little children and work. And a lot of the time, I'm just too tired to read. So I found that after the, the day, like, watching an episode of something is, like, the perfect way to unwind for me. So that's why I've discovered, like, loads of season that I suddenly, like, the the season I kind of also I'm I'm like I've been married you know to to the same man for for ten years now I mean or we've been together and and what I love about that is that there is it's 
it's different than when you when you only go through the sort of uh, honeymoon period with people, you know, and and when that's over, you feel like, oh, well, this doesn't feel right anymore. And you, you go find something else and you go through the honeymoon period only to realize that eventually that is always over, you know, sooner or later. And then then it, then it's the real stuff that the real work as far as like being able to to expose all your weaknesses you know and work on all your strengths with somebody and like work on tolerance and and allow the love to deepen in in new ways you know and so so i appreciate that and and i love the stability of that and the the kind of how harmonious that can feel and at the same time i enjoy uh kind of joining in other people's stories i guess through these characters and 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 series it's not escaping reality more than it sort of brings me into certain things that then a lot of the time inspire songs like time traveler's wife was another one um i had watched it because i'd re read the book when it came out i don't know whether you'd heard it but but the season is really beautiful and there's been a few other ones i really like outlander as well first season it's I mean, it's we all we all love entering other people's stories. You know, it's something that all of us enjoy. It's, it's not no different for me. It's just that I I somehow use it for for writing songs as well. Hmm. And when when it is songs like that um, that you say are directly inspired by, say, a TV show, how much of the reader or how much of the listener read into the lyrics and kind of think, oh, that's what Marquetta thinks? Like, are, are you kind of ascribing it to the show? Like one of the lines in the season that I picked out is, um, the last time you saw me, I was a child still, I am one no more. Like, is is that you speaking? Is it something that you're ascribing to a character? Yeah, that that was inspired by by the idea that, like in the Bridgerton, you know, there's these these girls and, and when they reach a, a certain age, they sort of, it's their moment to enter the ton, you know, I guess, and to have their sort of grand entry. Like now they're on the scene of like looking for a husband, I, I guess. And so I was sort of imagining the picturing that scene of that kind of environment. And this girl who 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 has felt a love or attraction towards um, an older man who had always perceived her as, as a child, but you know, she has still had feelings to him because, you know, that's what we do. I mean, when I was when I was little, there was like there was a whole bunch of uh, men that I had crushes on, you know, they would have never even looked looked at me or thought of me, you know, but like one of them being Jesus, the guy who played Jesus Christ Superstar, I had a huge <laughs> crush on him, you know, and it didn't occur to me like, oh, but he's a man and I'm a girl. It's just not it's not existent, you know. It's just you, you know, when you're a child, it's so innocent. You just feel love and that's it. You feel drawn to somebody. You're not really overanalyzing it. So I was thinking about the, this idea that this girl who who has felt sort of invisible, how, what it must be like that suddenly she's considered like, oh, she's become a woman and she becomes visible to the society, you know, and the kind of fantasies that unroll of like maybe this time the potential of everything being really like different than wh whatever she's experienced before. Um, and like, obviously I, I always, I can't write about anything that I don't, that doesn't resonate with me on a personal level. So everything I write about is somehow connected to what I had felt at some point, you know, so it always passes through my own personal sort of save of 
experiences and memories or things that I'm going through right now. So yeah, it's it's not I'm not able to separate it. I'm always in it, you know. So it's both. It's a it's a girl I'm imagining, and perhaps it's just an, a a girl that I once used to be, you know, or a version of me. It's an aspect of myself, I guess. Great. Um, and the last song on the album is "Know Yourself." You have your kids on that one. Was that a nice thing to do? Was that the first time that you've um kind of recorded them? Yeah, I it was. Um, my daughter Mia, who sings in the beginning, she's eight, and she's recorded like a whole bunch of her own songs at the studio. So she's she's quite used to <laughs> to <laughs> singing into a mic and and do, doing recordings. And I feel like she'll probably do a whole bunch of that throughout the years growing up. But but yeah, it was the first time that we that because uh, I had wanted like a crowd singing, you know, at the end, and uh, and I was like, well, why don't you guys come in? And my sister was there. So the, so the 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 five of them were in front of the microphone and uh and it I think it turned out really well and it's so sweet to have that because their voices change throughout the years you know and it will be lovely to have that always I I recorded my my stepdaughter uh on the on the Muna record when I was recording in Iceland so she she sings on Seasons Change that song and it's the same thing even my voice continues to to change whenever I hear the hill or um if you want me i can I, it always startles me like i i think it's a cover or something i don't recognize my own voice it's nice to have that it's a, it's a bonus of recordings being able to sort of conserve things hmm. um are you happy with how the record has turned out happy with what you've uh, created yes very happy you know very very happy i love the the musicians that i invited to partake in in recording it with me they their contributions are beautiful and what made it exciting for me you know just the combination of instruments and sounds and their their own ideas that they brought in and um i love how much time uh, and freedom we've had to work on it you know until we were like perfectly happy with with every detail um i used to walk uh, all around town with headphones when we were mixing it and just make notes of like all the things that needed fixing and it was like a really long process so i can stand behind this record now and just be perfectly happy which is a really really nice feeling and it's just over a week until it comes out but obviously have to ask you do you know what's next what are you working on at the moment or what's coming up or anything like that um well i'm hoping that once the record comes out i will get to play live that would be really nice um i feel like i can have a nice little band now with the musicians that came to record um i've already played some shows with them in czech republic th this summer and it was just wonderful so i'd like to do more of that and um actually when we were recording the album we we recorded 18 songs in total and we are only getting to use nine for this record so when i get back to iceland after the summer break i'm just gonna go straight into finishing the other nine and prepare another record to to put out maybe in a year or so because it's been so long between Muna and and, and uh, Lila that I have I'm excited about you know putting out things on on a more frequent level cool uh sounds great sounds great that you've got kind of the next album half in the bag as well yeah <laughs> yeah nice yeah, listen, thanks for uh thanks for chatting. Really appreciate it. And yeah, best of luck with uh the release of Lila and like enjoy enjoy the week up to it. 
Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. I keep it on This ring of feathers You gave to me some years ago In the land of fire and snow In those days That's a snippet of sip sousson, a little taster of My Roots Go Deep, one of the tracks off Lila, Marquette Erglova's new album. It's really great. It was a nice chat too, wasn't it? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So my being at another love story at the weekend meant I couldn't be in Limerick for Denise Chyla's gig at St. John's Castle on Saturday night. I was scrolling on my phone late Saturday, like very late Saturday, like 2am. Like, what was I doing at 2am? But I saw a couple of pictures, including God Knows, who we heard on last week's podcast, draping Denise in a Limerick flag on stage. Just looked like a special show. I wanted to hear how it all went down, so I asked Christy from The Boom, who were the support act, playing a rare pre-midnight show, how they got on and how the Denise show was. Hey Owen, this is Christy from The Boom. Uh, On Saturday night, we played in Limerick. We played in King John's Castle. And we were opening for Denise Chyla, for the amazing Denise, Denise Chyla. She put on an incredible show. It was like, it felt like more than just a show, more than just a regular, you know, concert or whatever. It was, it had a real like community feel to it all. It felt very kind of special or like something kind of, yeah, it felt special. The whole thing, the whole event, you know, there were people dressed up and obviously it was very much, very themed uh, the whole night. Um, lots of lots of goblets and lots of uh, wizards hats and um, yeah all that stuff it was great fun as I said it was just a real friendly kind of like real community feel to it all like it just felt like a real connected audience I feel like people went there as strangers and kind of came away as friends <laughs> cheesy as that sounds um, but it was cool and like for us yeah I guess like we were on quite early, you know, and we're used to playing at like two in the morning, three in the morning. Um, so it was kind of like our first gig in the bright, in, in daylight in in quite a while. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We kind of always kind of, yeah, I feel like the, the late night dark stuff suits us the best. But actually, this gig was incredible. It just felt so great. And it was actually lovely to be able to see the audience. And they were just so so into it and yeah and i mean you could just take in the beautiful surrounds of the castle and look out over limerick city just as the sun was going down it was yeah it was it was amazing it was one we won't forget i loved it and uh, we're very excited to get back to limerick soon we're gonna hopefully announce something pretty soon um but i can't really say much about that but i'm so excited to get back to limerick because yeah up the 061 Thanks to Christy for that. Go see Le Boom if they're playing a festival near you. They're also playing the Olympia in Dublin on Friday, December 2nd. Just FYI. Might want to put that in your diaries. It was a busy weekend. Another event I missed on Saturday was the Lumo boat party that took place all across Dublin Bay on a boat, no less. I bumped into two-thirds of Lumo, Nile or Nine, and Simon Roach on Friday night after Niall's killer hour-long set at ALS at the really, really cool-looking Treehouse stage 
and I got chatting with Simon about uh, Oasis, of course, why wouldn't I, and their best songs. And asked if he'd have a chat with me on the podcast about how he got on at the boat party the following day. Luckily, there were no pirates or seasickness on the high seas on Saturday night. And he obliged and we had a really nice chat. So here's me and Simon reprising our little discussion about the Lumo boat party and yes, Oasis and their best songs. Don't worry, I explain I explain why we're talking about Oasis. So I was talking to you on Friday night a little bit about Oasis. Um, I was talking to you about a list that I've been reading. It's on Uproxx if you want to hear it. It's, uh, I think it's the 50 greatest Oasis songs of all time. Do you want to hear the top 10 first of all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you know what I mean? The opening song on Be Here Now, which is 25 years old this week, which is why this list went up. That's at number 10. Morning Glory at number nine. Wonderwall at number eight. Don't Look Back in Anger at number seven. You can stop me any moment, any of these kind of touch a nerve and you're like, oh, what is this guy on? <laughs> Don't Look Back in Anger, number seven. Live Forever is number six. Do you want to stop there? Uh, yeah, because, and, and you know, we both agree that this is an outrage, that that's the number seven, I think, having remembering our discussion from Friday. Uh, Live Forever is number one, always has been, Always will be, never going to be beaten. Even Noel Gallagher said he only, he just keeps rewriting that song. <laughs> you know, he said that in interviews going back 20 years. Anyway, yeah, there's no more needs to be said about that. Live Forever is their best song. Yeah, it's uh, the best song on like one of the best debut albums of all time. So yeah, I agree. Cigarettes and Alcohol is number five. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, needlessly. Rock and Roll Star, I think that's the opening song on that debut album. That's at number four. Slide Away is number three. And just so you know, Acquiesce is number two and Champagne Supernova is number one. And so the writer, uh, Stephen Hyden, does say that he wanted to go with Acquiesce, but um, he was worried that going with a B-side will be seen as annoying uh, obscurity for obscurity's sake behavior. (laughs) And he says he's going to go with, wait for this. It's he, he calls Champagne Supernova Oasis's Stairway to Heaven. What? <laughs> um, in a, in a sort of uh, maybe in a in a sort of legal version of Led Zeppelin, which Oasis probably are. It's uh, it may you know in that it's really long, <laughs> and it kind of goes on forever. Um, but actually, remembering back to our conversation. And you asked me without context, Oasis' favorite songs. And I was like, well, Live Forever clearly is number one. And you agreed. And then I said, does this list have acquiesce at number one instead? Because you said that's not number one. And that's so I I don't think, from my point of view, anyone putting acquiesce at number one in the best of Oasis would be wrong at all. It wouldn't seem like someone being obscurist. I think there's a sort of agreement going back for years that the B-sides from the first album some of the best songs they wrote like master plans on that as well right master plans a b-side from the first album i can't remember which single it is but you know that that could be included as well uh, and you could get rid of cigarettes and alcohol but um uh, anyway look the oasis debate could go on forever uh, <laughs> but certainly uh that first album and the b-sides of it were the high benchmark of their of their writing career anyway are you going to listen to Be Here Now this week to celebrate its 25th anniversary? Is it a I big listen- anniversary for you? 
I listened to it in the last two hours because we were going to talk about it. And it's funny because I, so I was in London. I moved to London for one year of college after um, Definitely Maybe. And then, then, so What's the Story came out? 90, get me here. Five? 95, 95, I think, yeah. Second album was 95. Well, second album was 95, right. Okay, so we were all a little behind then because I moved to London in 94, bringing the first album with me. Okay, that makes sense. 95, and it wasn't the cover of that, a photo outside Sister Ray Records in Soho. There's a little street situation. I, I think that was it. And that was, of course, the time of Britpop and all that and Blur versus Oasis and all the great things that, you know, a kind of moment like that bring, no matter what, no matter about the music. But I think after that, I started to, you know, the interest peaked and then you were kind of gone. So when Be Here Now came out, I, I can't see me buying it. I can't remember buying it. I don't have it in my CD collection. And uh, and t- listening back now, I hear two good songs on it, Oh, which is, which is the opener and Stand By Me. There's some OK <laughs> stuff, but they're the, to me, they're the two standouts. Yeah. I think Spotify agrees with you there. 26 million plays for Do You Know What I Mean and 174 million plays for Stand By Me. And then the two tracks in between have three and six million. So yeah, I think I think you might be right there. I'm, I'm going to play it after our chat anyway, be here now. It's not uh, it's nowhere near uh, like my most listened albums of all time. <laughs> um, but I suppose I better give it a give it a give it a spin. Um but yeah, we're here to talk about very important things. You're out on the high seas on Saturday night. Simon, how'd you get on? Fantastic. So Lumo Club had a boat party on a boat and it went fantastically. Uh, we've been having boat club parties for a few years. We had two of them. and But our aim was always to have a boat party. But we actually couldn't find the right boat to take us was really the, the issue over the years. So our kind of stopgap was to have a boat club party, which was great by the water. You know, there's a lot to be said for it. But our little kind of dream for years, I think, was to actually get onto a real boat, take a load of people and go out. You know, we'd love to have done it around Corsica or. (laughs) (laughs) But but there's many reasons why that's logistically difficult. So we found a great company, uh, Dublin Bay Cruises, and they took us out. All All told, there was 100 people on board. And we had an amazing bunch of Lumo fans who snapped up the tickets within like half an hour or less, the the 90 or so tickets we put on sale. And uh, they all brought such a great buzz to it as well. There was lots of costumes. There was uh, lots of sailor hats, lots of captain's hats. And, you know, the, the, the night just went where people spent a lot of it outdoors. The weather played ball. God, we had an amazing sunset. The rain stayed away. I mean, everything you could have dreamed of landed. And um, our music got kind of sillier and sillier. There's something inherently silly about being in a boat, bobbing around in the sea, just listening to music, you know. And the the sort of the probably the more the, the lighter side of Lumo was just thrown into the the front and center. And uh, we just played the, the kind of the sillier. Uh, we still stand over every tune we play, but like, you know, it was almost every tune. <laughs> but like in the moment, it was all right. And it just was fantastic fun. So much fun, you know. 
Great, great. So you were saying that uh, you've been talking about it for years and years. Like, have you actually got close to doing it before and it's fallen through? Or is it just like, just the dream was there to do it for no, years we, and years? We rang both companies, um, I'm I'm going to say five, four or five years ago. We rang them looking to do exactly this. And I think the idea of a disco at sea put people off. They were like, oh, we had that before. And, you know, lots of people were really messy or, you know, don't think anyone fell overboard. But... There, you know, whatever way other situations were run by other boat companies who do similar things, um, or the boats were too small to make it any way profitable or you know even worth doing. Uh, but so we did try. We definitely there was there was two years when we booked the boat clubs. We were also ringing boats, and we never you know we never found the right boat, but we did now. Great. Uh, I guess it's good just to keep things interesting for you as well, because Lumo's been running, is it five or six years now? Seventh birthday in October. Wow, wow, seven birthdays. So it's good to just keep keep these things interesting for, for you as well, isn't it? Yeah, we love doing that. You know, we do like little smaller events like, you know, New Year's Eve and things like that outside our normal Tengu night that we do, you know, usually the sort of second last Saturday of every month. And it's nice to do those things because you get to play different things. You just get a sort of different perspective. But we always love coming kind of home to Tengu then as well. And the boat party was was both because we we did the boat. We all got off. We went into Tengu, set up, had a kebab, opened the doors, <laughs> four more hours, you know. So that was um we had we had a it was really nice to be able to do sort of a one-off separate thing and then tie it in with Tengu and then everybody from the boat got their wristbands and they all came down to Tengu that night as well um, so that was that was just perfect you know that really was um, you're probably going to ask are we going to do anything else I'd say we'll do a boat party next year yeah a, like, a monthly boat boat party now? <laughs> you know I think we could sell tickets people were so <laughs> into people were like really really getting on to us like every day there was messages going where can we get a ticket any refunds any you know so many people wanted to go and some somebody put us on tiktok after we'd even sold out and suddenly 500 people wanted to go as well so it was very very funny to get such a response but definitely you know once a year maybe twice a year you could totally do it what, what do you mean someone put you on tiktok there was just someone bigging up the event or something yeah, somebody with a lot of followers on TikTok, although they did use sort of footage from like Mediterranean and sort of, <laughs> you know, boiler room and a boat kind of photos. They definitely didn't use normal Lumo footage. And I'm not so I'm not sure the audience they were attracting, um, but I think they just wanted the boat. They didn't necessarily want, you know, Lumo and what we were going to play, which was, you know, I think that was the, the greatest fun was <laughs> was the, what we got to play on the boat. So was it a load of yacht rock? What were the songs that went down best at uh, at the boat party? It was. And I actually, I think we probably started talking about a boat party when the three of us realized that we all had a large affinity with yacht rock, you know, and that wasn't day one. That was, you know, that was within the first year or two where we all realized Steely Dan, you know, Phil Collins, maybe not technically yacht rock, but that whole, you know, side of things we had a a, a strong feeling for all three of us. So that I think that was what pushed us to the boat initially. Um, but yeah, we played, you know, I got Don Henley Boys of Summer out. We we played Steely Dan. 
we got it. We got some of those old 70s classics, but then we also got to play. What else did we, like Niall played Macarena, <laughs> which went down really well in that we had the entire the entire room doing the Macarena with like in sync right in front of us in the kind of in the main area inside the boat. That was pretty amazing. But I think and like, you know, we we played a lot of pop. We played just, you know, going to see pop. And I think roller disco and that kind of pop, they they match up a bit. You know, you can you can swap them out a bit. But um, definitely the biggest reaction of the night. Well, and credit to Niall's girlfriend, Katie, who said you have to play this. But we had to play it just as we came ashore because it's the sort of song you don't want to be reminded of when you're out in the middle of the sea. And we played uh, Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. Oh, wow. Amazing. We had to make sure we were safely back at shore before we played it. But Amazing. It, it absolutely brought the house down. There are videos to prove it. And uh, that's that's also Luma. We If, if we think it's going to work, like... <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll swallow our pride. We'll give it a go. And, you know, that was just you could see everybody, everybody, even the staff, even the captain were enjoying that one. Great, great. And no mishaps or no seasickness or anything like that? No, that remarkably. Uh, I mean, the only mishap is that Gav couldn't make it. But, you know, myself and Niall kind of held the fort. But as far as the as far as the people now. Everyone had a great time. There was just, you know, you could see, I don't know if there were Tinder dates or young couples. You could see old friends. You could see our friends. You could see people we never met. There was a, a small hen party there and they were dressed up. And uh, there was an awful lot of different things going on. But not like the bar didn't run out of drink. <laughs> In fact, it's the drink of choice seemed to be a bottle of Prosecco and a few glasses that seemed to be flying out of the bar. So... Everything went smooth. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, we even got a sunset. And yeah, like usually you'd imagine, oh, there was something that was a hitch. We realized early in the night that where we put, like so we had two speakers inside, which you could hear a little outside, but we had a kind of an extra speaker going into the front room. Nobody was in the front room. They were all out on deck and we were like, oh God, what do we do? And so within five minutes, we kind of rewired, ran it across the front of the boat over the roof back down and put it outside plugged it in everybody was like yes so even that which would have been a bit of a ah it's a pity we didn't have a speaker out on the deck we did we got one out within you know five minutes and we were like it's weird to say there was no mishaps there wasn't even small ones everything went great great wow it was uh great great to hear um do you have any uh plugs that you want to get in uh now lumo will be on next month i presume in september yeah, we're going to try and stay off boats and stay stay off exhausting situations. Like we were at another love story Friday. Niall played that night. We had to get back the next day for the boat party and then the Lumo that night. It was quite a 36 hours. And I think next time we just want to keep it to four hours. <laughs> so we have a September date, which is the 17th. And we can just announced booked today that we have Louise Bruton and Ashley O'Reardon who did the Pop Dungeon. Uh, I think it was the closing night of the Fringe 2020. So they are bringing a little Pop Dungeon to Tengu. So they'll be our guests on the September the 17th. And we have our birthday in October the 29th. 
that's going to be fun because we haven't had a birthday in three years. And then we've, you know, November 19th, December 17th, that's our, that's our dates for the year. So, but nice, nice one coming up now soon. It's even we love having guests because we actually just get to dance in our own club. It's like the easiest thing in the world. So, and we're, we're really looking forward to having the, the pop dungeon guys in. That's going to be, it's going to be salty. So that'll be, that'll be fun. Great. So we've covered uh, Oasis and Britpop. We've covered all the Yacht Rock stuff and we've got the Pop Dungeon stuff coming up as well. I think we covered all bases. Wonderful. <laughs> cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Alan. Thanks to Simon for that. Hope you took notes on those Lumo club dates. It's always fun. It's always jammers in Tengu as well. Seven years in October as well. That's, that's great that they've made it this long. I was there at their third club night, I think, maybe fourth. I think it was after a Jape show at Vicker Street and then we all went down to Tengu and that was a nice night. Fair play to them for keeping it going. I look forward to getting back there soon and back on the high seats next summer. Now we're on to the music portion of the show. I ask artists to send me voice notes about their new tracks and then play said new track in full. We have three on today's show. I was on the ball with the podcast this week, guys. I'm not going to lie. First up is Alice Kiernan, who's only released two tracks since 2018, Running Now and Blue, but who I absolutely love. She's a singer-songwriter and musician based in Dublin and releases a track called Golden this Friday, August 26th. So this is a sneak peek at the track premiere, if you like. Here she is explaining what it's all about first. Hey, it's Alice Kiernan and I'm so excited that my brand new track Golden comes out Friday, August the 26th. This song is all about finding the light again and I think that's something that we really need to hear after the past few years that we've had. Uh, not to be too cheesy, but the message in Golden is that it's so important to remember that you won't always notice things getting easier, but you'll always look back and realise just how far you've come. Uh, I recorded this song over Zoom, um, which is something that is really handy for me because I work in an office full time and being able to kind of do things after my nine to five or do things at the weekend and especially do it over Zoom just works so well for me and to be able to make something that I'm so proud of in a way that, that doesn't stress me out and doesn't, you know, doesn't require I won't say too much work, but it's just something that really works for me well. Um, I'm just so in awe of how technology has made all of this so much easier. Um, so I recorded it over Zoom and worked on the production of it over Zoom with Alex O'Keefe, who I've worked with before. Um, and he's worked with artists like Bobby Arlo and Erica Cody and Emma Adele, and he is amazing to work with. And so that's the story of how Golden came to be. And I really hope you like it. It's out this Friday, August the 26th. And my name is Alice Kiernan. I'm feeling alright, I'm doing good I met somebody cause I hadn't heard from you in months I spent three years just trying to make myself clean You moved that far away, you took your money too You met somebody you can crush just like you usually do You spent three years repeating mistakes that you made Only so high, love is so deep Used to wake up every morning Still have you all over me And then time starts to pass I close my eyes and I'm frozen And my mind 
Golden by Alice Kiernan, which is released this Friday, August 26th. Maybe pre-save it on Spotify if you like it. I look forward to hearing a lot more from Alice Kiernan. I think she's really, really great. Next up is Just Another Love Song by Patrick Steffen. He's an Irish Dutch singer and wayfarer, born in County Clare and now based in Dublin. He's travelled and lived all around the world, from Scandinavia to Brazil to Africa And Just Another Love Song is the third single to be taken from his debut album, Wayfair, which is released on September 23. Here he is to introduce it, before we'll hear it in full. Hello everybody, my name is Patrick Stefan, and you're going to hear my song, Just Another Love Song, right after this message. Uh, The song was originally written by my dad. I'm an Irish-Dutch singer-songwriter, he's a Dutch man. And uh, he met my mother in Dublin and they decided to move to Clare. And then I was born in Clare, grew up there and then they separated. And then I grew up in Dublin since then. So, yeah, uh, this song is his. And uh, I for a long time, I resisted kind of taking on his mantle. I wanted to forge my own way in music a little bit. So me playing this song, making my own version of it. Uh, it's kind of coming full circle and yeah, it's symbolic, I suppose, for me taking on my father's uh, 
image to some extent. Uh, it's a really beautiful song and everyone always, without fail, everyone always comments when I play it live. So it's a, it's a joy to be able to kind of share it and to continue on the family legacy, I suppose, as it were. <laughs> yeah, hope you enjoy it. It's called Just Another Love Song. Good 
Just another love song Singing all the time That's Just Another Love Song by Patrick Steffen. Really, really lovely. Hopefully we'll have a chat with him around the release of the album. It sounds real, real nice. Looking forward to listening to the full thing. Next up, finally, is an artist called Cabin, a.k.a. Adam McCabe, an alternative producer and songwriter from Dublin. He's been producing, writing and engineering for a number of years, working with bands including Brass Phantoms, Fang Club and Otherkin. The track we're going to hear is called The Power Socialite and it's taken from his new EP, You're On My Mind, which is out now. Here's Adam to introduce the song. Hi there, I'm Cabin. I'm a producer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist from Dublin. And you're going to hear a track from my latest EP, You're On My Mind. The song is called The Parasocialite, uh, alternative version. The reason it's called alternative version is that these songs are actually a collection of reworked material of the singles that I've released thus far uh, under the name Cabin. And my reasoning for kind of creating alternative versions or, or, or deciding to rework uh, these songs stemmed out of how these four songs were really conceived and how they came about. You know, these four tracks were kind of built around the same time during um, our time in isolation um, of me sitting in my little home studio just kind of working away and, you know, in those times when people are isolated and apart you know naturally they kind of feel quite small so as a remedy to that I think in creating those songs I wanted to create grander sounds and and make it bigger than the sum of its parts and to sound larger than just the one person that was was there uh, making them and so it kind of came about that the production on those tracks um, was kind of everything but the kitchen sink. Um, but invariably what happens then when we kind of come out of lockdown and enter back into the world and, and I start this project and release these songs that I've been working on, you find that the way that one person can then translate these songs out in the world is going to be a lot different than what was recorded. So began to create this um, issue of me trying to find the fundamental parts of what made these songs and strip them down back to these fundamental parts as a way of performing them. And this is kind of what the EP kind of signifies um, my attempt to formulate these tracks using just their core elements so in creating this ep it was as much an experiment for me to see if these tracks retroactively are worth their salt so thankfully i think they are but i'm sure people will tell me if i'm wrong (laughs) but yeah if you like what you hear you check out the originals and see how they compare um and follow me on Instagram at cabin underscore music and all the various other social media accounts. So yeah, thank you and enjoy.
That's The Parasocialite by Cabin. 
Thanks to Adam, Patrick Steffen, and Alice Kiernan for sending on the tunes this week. Go support them, buy their music, follow them on socials, go to their gigs. If you want to support me, go review The Point of Everything on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Maybe tell a friend that they should listen. Word of mouth, you know, you know, here it's a good thing, word of mouth. If you want to send me your music or any feedback or anything at all at all, email me at thepointofeverything at gmail.com or tweet me at T-P-O-E blog. We're back next week with another good show. <clears throat> Spoiler, Katie Kim interview. Katie Kim on the podcast next week, FYI. We'll see you then. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.